Hello and welcome to Between the Mountains podcast, where we talk about your adventure travels from backpacking to expeditions. I'm your host Chris, and today we welcome back Ryan from Travel with Cookie, who's going to talk to us about Vietnam. We talk about Ha Long Bay, Hanoi, the Haivan Pass, and Ho Chi Minh City too, so I really, really hope you like it. And if you do like it, then feel free to subscribe, follow, and share with your friends. And also check out Ryan's link in the show notes. Travel with Cookie is his blog. It's brilliant. He does things from quizzes to blog entries to travel advice to offers. So by all means, check it out. But let's get straight into the interview. So hello, Ryan. Thank you very much for coming back to the podcast. It's It's a pleasure to have you back. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, it's great to be back again. So for those who uh, those who don't know, Ryan uh, did an episode on Budapest with us. So I will make sure I mention that down in the show notes uh, or the YouTube video comments uh, if you're watching it here. Uh, and you can you can listen back to that. Uh, also, he's got a fantastic blog, which I'll link down below. And, uh, and Ryan, I'll let you mention it a bit at the end because I genuinely think it's really awesome. So it'd be great for you to promote it there too. Yeah. But um, today we're talking quite a cultural difference from Budapest uh where where are we going today yeah this was this was uh I think it's a cultural difference for anywhere to be honest um <laughs> but yeah I um uh, last year went uh, and traveled uh, Vietnam from north to south uh which was uh, a country that I a bit like Budapest like I said in the last the the last podcast we did um it's somewhere that's just it was something niggling in the back of my mind that I just always wanted to go there um, and then that was boosted over anyone's seen the uh, Top Gear episode, uh, the special where they, they do Vietnam on scooters. Yes. And they travel from south to north, and just the places they went, they went to was just incredible. So I didn't really need any pushing to do it, um, but I just, uh, I was kind of inspired last year as well by, I don't know if anyone saw it, um, it was on the BBC, it was called Race Around the World, I've heard about it. Is that the series where they gave they gave contestants a set budget and they had to get some from place to place, or am I yes. thinking of a different show? No, that's the one. So this, well, they've just brought out another series now. Um, but the previous one was they had to get from Greenwich in in London to Singapore, which is the furthest distance that you can travel without having to get a, a plane. Yes. Um, so they went. Uh, on a budget of, I think it was about £1,500 per person, which is what the flight would have cost. And they've got, I think it took 50 days to do. And in, during this, they, um, I mean, it's not my first time in Southeast Asia. I've done Thailand a couple of times. Um, so I sort of knew half what to expect if you if you get me. Yeah. But um, yeah, on this program, they actually went through Vietnam, through the north and to a few other places. And it just, again, it was another thing that I didn't really need any encouragement for. But uh, in actual fact, the final episode finished. And I that night, that evening on the Sunday, when I booked my uh, flight to Vietnam, uh, in tri- typical fashion, as I usually do, is go, I want to go somewhere. I think about it for about two weeks. Uh, go, right, that's it. I'm definitely going to go there. And I book the flight and I leave three weeks later. I know I can't have anything any like I can't wait for it I hate having things booked up so I've even had holidays or you know trips like this where they've been too far in the future and I've actually gone and done two weekend trips in between because I can't actually wait that long to go away 
So this was very similar with that. So I booked it and just left, uh, I think it was two and a half weeks later. So, but yeah, it was um, just one of the most beautiful countries and the people there, uh, just absolutely incredible. It was really, really enjoyable trip, to be honest. Um, and again, I, I always, one thing, like I said, on my travel blog and things, I always try and find the best ways of getting places because people are obviously on a budget. I travel solo a lot of the time. Um, it's backpacking in hostels, that type of thing. Um, and obviously, any money you can save anywhere along the lines is going to be uh, any help. So I've wanted to go to Vietnam for a long time. I was looking at flights for the, I think, in fact, um, it would have been a year today, thereabouts, that I actually went there. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, so I, I was looking at the flights to Hanoi, which is the capital up north. Um, and from the UK, they were going to be costing about £850 return, um, which I thought was pretty high, considering you can get to Thailand for considerably cheaper. Um, later on in the year, I've actually got uh, my flight booked already to go to Thailand and travel Southeast Asia again, um, this time for like a seven-week period. Um, and we got to Thailand for £340, uh, one-way ticket. So I knew that you could um, get there cheaper. So in actual fact, I found a return flight for £490 to Thailand. Um and then I got a £70 flight, including bag, from Bangkok to Hanoi. So instead of paying £850 and having a, I think it was a 16-hour layover in Delhi, in New Delhi, um, I flew to Bangkok, had a night there and stopped on the Koh San Road, um, and then flew the next day for considerably cheaper um, and got to have a day in Thailand as well. Um, and like if anyone's got a UK passport, you've got 15 days without needing a visa in Vietnam. So I was going for 17 days, which allowed me a day either side and I wouldn't have to pay for a visa. So I'd sort of worked it out to, I don't want to sound like I'm cheap, but <laughs> just trying to save, save anything I could. to. to it's not to, cheap uh, at all. It, no. it's, and besides, if anything, it's, it's more money in doing adventure when you're yeah. in that country. So, yeah. I mean, okay. anyone, anyone who's been to Southeast Asia knows that um, if the price of a, somewhere to stop accommodation-wise, you can stop there for a month uh, with accommodation and food for what you can pay a week in somewhere in Europe in a hotel. It's yeah. just so incredibly cheap. The food is absolutely unbelievable. You can um, go to a restaurant, have a two-course meal with a couple of beers, and it will cost no more than £5. Um, it's literally... it's. And the weather obviously is, uh, as long as you can deal with hot and humid. Um, but something I found with, with Vietnam, with going to the length of the country, was how, even in Vietnam, how different it got as well. Uh, just in the same country. Obviously, it's a lot bigger than what everyone anticipates. Everyone thinks it's only a small place, but it's actually uh, it's, it's spread over quite a distance, even though it is quite a thin country. So you did get to see a difference in the climate as well, which is pretty cool, which you don't get yeah. going to a lot of places. Perfect. So on that note, let's jump straight into the itinerary. So so day one, where are we starting and what are we doing? Let's say, so I flew into, into Bangkok, first of all. Um, yep. I've been there a couple of times. Bangkok's not my favourite place in Thailand. It's great to go and see. A lot um, of people say that. Yeah. Well, once you've seen it, you've seen it. You don't need to spend a week there or five days or even, yeah. you know, once you've done it, that's it. 
Um, but I've never stopped in the Kosan Road, which has been nicknamed the, the centre of the backpacking universe, um, simply because this road is just bars, it's pies, backpackers from all over the world, because it's such an epicentre of the travel, with Bangkok Airport being so um, open to travel all over the world, for long haul especially. Um, so I got there, and this isn't the first time I've done something similar to this in Thailand. So this is a, a tip for everyone is research what's going on in the country before you get there. Okay. Um, I got there the weekend of the, um, the new King's coronation. Now, anything, anything political um, in Thailand, there is a complete alcohol ban. Um, bars are closed. Uh, elections, you can't drink when there's an election on. It's literally just part of their culture. In fact, um, during the COVID um, shutdown, there was actually an alcohol ban being sold from anywhere while people were in lockdown because they didn't want people drinking. So yeah. um, this was something I wasn't aware of. So I turned up to this Kosan Road expecting this nightlife and party and everything else, uh, which was really good actually because I actually wouldn't have seen this obviously, but I actually got there when they, the parades were going through the streets in the evening to, for, oh, to, mark, wow. to mark the King's coronation. Um, they had these really weird, I don't know what they were, they were the fireworks, but they, the, I don't know what they were. There's this light show basically of fireworks that made the shape of the King's face, um, of the Thai flag. It was just absolutely incredible to watch. Um, so this was, I just got very lucky with landing on this. Um, I didn't go there for that reason couldn't know what was happening but it was really a really nice surprise to see this and again it cost me 350 pounds less to do it this way than it did to fly direct to vietnam and i never would have seen this um so yeah so that night you know have a few beers go and watch some of the parade that was going on every um every thai person uh for the last 18 months 12 to 18 months i believe it was um i've been in national mourning because of the old the old king dying yeah. Um, so when the, the the monarchy over there is clapped, they're almost deities over there. Um, well, in fact, they are considered a god basically when they become king. Um, and nobody was wear, allowed to wear bright colours for this period of mourning in Thailand. Um, so when I got there, and this coronation was now the new celebration of the new era of Thailand, every single person, every single Thai person, wore a yellow shirt. Every single person, which was so surreal, wow. it was like like walking down the street with a bunch of minions. It was just, uh, <laughs> it, it was just crazy. But um, so that was really. In, even the next day, when I went went to the um, went to the airport, every member of staff, every person who was travelling that day, everyone wore yellow. Um, so in fact, I had a Swedish football shirt with me. So I actually wore that just to at least show a bit of respect, I suppose, just to uh, just to kind of blend in. But yeah, so I got into Vietnam. Um, sort of evening time. Uh, it wasn't quite dark. Um, I got the tack. It was a bit of a contrast in weather. It wasn't sunny. It was very. I don't know whether it's cloudy or just like this this hue um, of just grey. But it was still about twenty eight degrees. It was still warm. Yeah. Probably a bit. You know, probably a bit more than that. Saying that, but humidity was up at like ninety eight percent. It's probably. Yeah, early 30s in temperature. And um, I turned up to this chaotic place. It just, and I, my actual thoughts were like, this isn't my first time backpacking in places like uh, in, in Southeast Asia or backpacking on my own in any, in any uh, by any means. But 
I turned up and for the first time in my life, this is the gospel truth, I actually said to myself, what am I doing here? That was my, <laughs> that was my initial reaction. Um, I found a hostel. Um, I don't generally book much more than a couple of days in advance because I like to be flexible. So I will book for a couple of days of where I'm going to be. And then as I've got, you know, maybe a day left, I'll book the next place and the next place. So I didn't have any flights booked out of Hanoi. I didn't have, um, I knew sort of roughly where I was going to go. So I just sort of left it to the gods and see what would happen, really. Uh, I knew I was going to go to Heilong Bay because that was obviously an incredible yes. place. And so um, I turned up at this hostel, which I managed to find for £3 a night. And somewhere it said on, I think I booked it through booking.com, and on the rating it was actually voted two years before as one of the best hostels in the world to stay. Oh, and wow. I was like, well, for £3 a night, you cannot, <laughs> you cannot lose with this. No. Um, so I I ended up walking into this hostel. Um, it was there was no front desk. It was basically like a table that had been brought in from outside where this laptop was set up. Um, the kitchen was right in front of me. There was a couple of wooden tables in there, and I sort of looked around. And went, okay, this is a bit basic for the best hostel in the world, okay. um, but we'll yeah we'll go with it. We'll see how it is. Um, so check me in, blah, blah, blah. I went, and I was waiting for my key, as you were. I stood there waiting for my key for my room. He said, oh, you're on the third floor in room 10A, wherever it was. And I went, okay. And he went, you can go. It's fine. I, went, I, I need a key. To get. He goes, oh, no, there's no keys to the rooms. It's what? all open. Yeah, so I went, oh, right, okay. I went, okay, this is a bit weird. So I went up to the room, got in there. It was like a four-bed or six-bed dorm. I, I think it was a four-bed. And there was lockers up on the wall. And I thought, okay. There's lockers with a key. At least I've got somewhere to put my valuables. That's all I'm worried about, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, I was only going to be there the one night because the next day I was being picked up to go to um, on the Heilong Bay tour. Yes. Um, so I thought, oh, it's only one night. So I had to drop my stuff straight there. I kept all my valuables with me. Didn't worry about the locker for now. Had to walk and navigate through the streets of Hanoi, which is absolutely hectic. Yes. Um, imagine like Bangkok but on speed it was like that it was <laughs> honest to God it was insane and so I, I turned up I navigated through these streets um, I didn't have any um, GPS because my phone didn't work uh, GPS wise or 3G or 4G over there so I could only use the, the Wi-Fi so I managed to get a, an old paper map which I've become a habit of doing now rather than relying on a phone found my way up these streets, found to the place where I had to pay the rest of the deposit for my Heilong Bay tour, walked back through the streets and just, there's no such thing as pavements because they're littered with like almost, you know, the plastic um, preschool tables where kids sit, the little plastic chairs and the outdoor tables that yeah. big, they are littered everywhere. And that's what everyone sits on. That's all that is there, the little stalls. And if the stalls and that aren't covering the the pavements, then people's mopeds that are parked are covering it. So you have to walk in the road. Now, anyone who's been in Southeast Asia knows what the roads are like, especially in Vietnam. They are um, very nuts. They're questionable at best. Yeah. Um, I, d I don't know why they have lines on the road to d distinguish different lanes because <laughs> there, was, there was people people driving down the um, they were driving down the pavement the wrong way down the street anyway 
There was walking streets that were just mopeds going in and out of market stores. It was just like something I've never experienced before. So I was, I honestly said to myself out loud, what have I got myself into here? What am I doing here? Um, got back to the hostel, went right. They went, oh, it's happy hour, it's free beer. And they pulled this beer out of, I don't know whether it was some home brew or something. Um, it was, it's I drank free. it to, yeah, it, but it was just, it was like, imagine like um, a big metal pot that like uh, you don't decanter and it was a case of just pouring out the bottom. I have no idea what beer it was. I was just to be polite, I had a cup of it, which they gave me. I went back to the desk, which is just next to me. And I just went, oh, can I have a key for the lockers upstairs? Uh, for my room they went oh we don't have the keys for the lockers anymore um anymore is, yeah there's, there's no there's no um key to the door and there's no key for the lockers so i went right okay uh he went it's okay if you want anything valuable money ipads laptops phones passports you can just leave here at the front desk now the <laughs> front the front door was open and it was just a a glass front door there was no safe or anything in the desk it was just a drawer which anybody could open up um, anyone on the street could have walked in and I just went, no. And this is the, for, honestly, this is the first time in my entire life I've not felt safe somewhere. Yeah. Um, I've always got by and just went, yeah, it'll be fine. And I just went, something, I don't like this. And I picked up my bags and I didn't have the heart to tell the guy, look, I'm not stopping here, I'm, I'm leaving. Um, I said, look, I'm going out to meet some, some friends. I've got some of their stuff with me. So I took my backpack and everything with me. I said, I'll be back later on. He went, no problem. But he was quite concerned that I was not going to come back, which I didn't. Um, <laughs> I got straight onto booking.com. I found this boutique sort of um, guest house hotel type thing, which I think for the last minute, it cost me like £13, £14, double room, your own bathroom. I was like, wow, this is, this is incredible. Like for... It was a relief more than anything. So at least I could go out and leave my valuables and I wouldn't have to carry them with me all night and everything else. So I say that night, um, I ended up wandering around playing hacky sack with a bunch of the locals who were in the main square um, by the fountain. It's just, it's such a bizarre area. that it's, it's, There's no, um, no vehicles allowed down there. And this is the only place where this seemed to apply where, because anything else, there was no rules on the roads whatsoever. And people were out playing like giant versions of Jenga, but it, I can, it was an Asian twist. I don't, I don't understand that bad, but there were all these games I'd never seen before. And I was just yeah. sitting there, just watching the, these locals, all the kids in the street playing and everything else. And then I got dragged in with some, some um, locals who lived, they were students actually uh, in Hanoi University. And they said, oh, come on, join in um, and play hacky sack with us. So I ended up playing, I say hacky sack, it's a shuttlecock with bells on the end of it. It's not actually a hacky sack. So it's like a very, it's a very strange, I can't remember what the name of it was, um, but it was, it was something really different and cool to do. And they, yeah. told me, they told me where the backpacking bars and stuff were. Um, oh, awesome. Uh, it's actually, they actually called it, this is their words, not mine. Um, they called it Dirty Backpacker Street. That was the no. exact name which the locals gave it because they said <laughs> that's where all the international backpackers go, and it was, uh, it was crazy. Like it was, there was definitely you couldn't get any any cars down there or mopeds because there physically wasn't room. Like with this social distancing now, you would not even be able to go down the street. It was it was insane. Um, but we, uh, I went down there. I ended up just randomly meeting a guy from South Africa um, who I actually still keep in touch with. Um, he lives. Right. He just he just moved to Hanoi. 
uh, as a golf instructor. So he was only his first day there himself. So I got to meet him. Um, he had to go back to work. I bumped into some random Australians. Everyone knows what they're like. They love a drink. So yeah. we um, ended up having Shorts a, on. <laughs> yeah, a pretty crazy, uh, a pretty crazy night with them. Um, I couldn't find the boutique hotel, which um, I booked after this other hostel. And for the life of me, I had no idea what it was. So I crashed in one of their hostel floors because <laughs> I couldn't find my hostel. I, bearing in mind, I was being picked up at 8 a.m to travel to Heilong for this trip, which yeah. is a four and a half hour drive. Um, so I, I didn't sleep, went straight back to these, this hotel um, at 7.30, picked up my bag, showered, and by this point, the person was downstairs already ringing the room at 10 to eight saying, you're late, which I wasn't. I was told they were coming at 8.30. So, God. so I jumped on the back of this person's moped with my backpack on and everything else. He just went through, they weren't roads, they were just, alleyways dropped me off at this bus i jumped on this bus probably slept the first two and a half hours of this trip because i was just exhausted i bet yeah. um and then i eventually got to to Heilong and uh, a lot of people uh, will know this that you obviously take the jump boats they're called um that's the name of the, the, the boat you stop on you actually sail around the um the Heilong bay uh it's a UNESCO heritage site as well. Um, so you literally spend two, three nights on the boat and you go kayaking amongst all the, uh, oh, the islands awesome. and uh, you get to jump off the boats into the water and uh, yes. there's parties on the, on the, uh, you go, it was just, it was, it was an incredible experience, but there was zero sleep. Uh, it was hectic. It was for three days, it was jumping. We stayed on one boat predominantly, but if you're moving to somewhere else, a random boat would come up to you. You'd have to swap boats to a smaller boat. They would take you to another boat, another jump boat, where you would jump on and go to the next activity or whatever you're doing, whether it's swimming, um, snorkeling, um, just canoeing, um, whatever you're going to do. Uh, there's a couple of. Um, marketplaces and some of these people don't actually they live on the water so these are floating markets oh, in wow. the middle of Heilong Bay so you literally go like you can go around to these um there are so many different companies um and the standard basically is just the type of room that you're going to get from what I experienced is you're only sharing with one of the people they're, they're double cabins anyway so there's no worry that you're going to be lumped with six of the people in a room in actual fact I ended up having a room on my own because there was an odd number Oh, nice. um, so there are, I mean, they do range from, it's about $300, $300 I think it was, for the three night, which is expensive in terms of um, Southeast Asia for anything you're doing like this. But some some were $300, some were $180. Uh, I sort of went with somewhere in the middle um, to be safe. But from what I found was, um, yes, there are some of the more luxurious um, boats. There was nothing wrong with the boat we were on whatsoever. The food was great. Um, the facilities were, were, you know, were great. You had your own shower and everything, your own toilet. Um, so I'd be reluctant to really pay much more than what I did, um, where you could be stung by a lot of the companies claiming to be luxury boats. And we were hopping from one to the other, and they were all pretty much identical, apart from yeah. maybe the layout of the central part. So. I did a load of research worrying about it because I've read all these um, reviews and watched videos on YouTube of people saying that, you know, you've got to pick your boat right. 
to be honest with you, it was. Um, it was a great experience. And the one night I actually stopped on a um, deserted island um, where they just had a couple of huts where I met oh, somebody awesome. else. And you just, uh, there was only actually about four of us on the entire island. And we just had a few beers that night and just really chilled out. Um, and in fact, that area where you actually go back to for the life of me now, I can't remember the actual name of the island where you you leave from which is where you get back onto the bus and you go back to mainland um but it is where the new um a lot of the new jurassic park jurassic world films uh was actually filmed um oh nice so, yeah, i didn't so know they filmed it then yeah in this area a lot of for the new one anyway the new ones yeah. um yeah so i mean you can tell exactly why so when you when you're on the bus and you're going through you can see exactly why because it looks like a T-Rex is going to come through the trees at any minute. <laughs> you can see exactly why. But, um, yeah, I mean, to be, I mean, when I was there, the weather was still pretty cloudy. It was about 28 to 30, um, comfortable. You know, it didn't get much cooler than that. It didn't get much warmer than that. It stayed pretty much the same. Um, so, yeah, so after after we'd be done all this, I won't say too much because I don't want to spoil it for people, but it is something you – it's – I mean, if you was there on a crystal blue sky, um, the photos I took, unfortunately, it was a bit overcast, so it looks pretty grey. And but it was phenomenal just to see, um, just the way people live on these floating markets, and they don't go to land. Uh, some of them don't go to step on land their entire life. We were talking to wow. someone. Yeah, and it, they live literally uh, in these in these like mountainous, uh, well, mountain mountain estate. Uh, it's. They're, they're uninhabitable islands because it's just a peak of just like limestone pillars. Um, and the story and the legends that you get from it about um, it being about the dragon coming up to save the people after the gods had started a civil war. And there's all these uh, mytho mythological stories about um, the, why the landscape is why it is, which is, again, you, you immerse yourself in, in all these sort of stories. And it's so cool to listen to these people telling you these storage which they're so passionate about as well and telling you all these things so yeah that was Heilong Bay was uh, an absolute must for anyone to go who's going to Vietnam um, so after those few days headed back to um, to Hanoi for another night uh, met up lovely Hanoi <laughs> do you know what Hanoi was actually from the first night I, I don't want to make it sound like it was it was just such a culture shock i didn't expect it even though i've been to thailand and bangkok and phuket and all these places before knowing half of what to expect i never could have anticipated what what it was going to be like and the second time i was there i actually just took a deep breath and just because i knew what to expect and just immerse myself and yeah. if anyone's worried about it it's probably one of the best places to go to just the culture shock hits you so quickly and it's so quick to get over it. Whereas if you'd have gone somewhere quieter, like further south where I started off, for instance, uh, sorry, where I finished off, um, further down the coast where it is just so laid back, if you'd have gone there first and then gone to Hanoi or Ho Chi Minh, you'd have been in for a massive shock because it would have just, it's like two different worlds, it really is. But I mean, Hanoi itself, the night markets are, are held a couple of times a week. They're selling. Uh, cheap clothing, the street food was absolutely incredible and throughout Vietnam I have to say worldwide even topping Thailand was the best food I think I've ever had anywhere. Oh, it was wow. something that surprised me, it was just the street food was sensational, something that you probably heard is pho uh, yes. yeah, which is just uh, when you have that, like it costs pence over there as well um, to eat it, you can, your meals are, are coming to like a dollar 
uh, for a meal at a US dollar. Obviously, they've got Vietnamese dong, which is something you need to get your head around because at the minute it's about 30,000 dong to a pound. So it <laughs> starts to complicate things. And the 5,000 uh, dong note is very similar to the 500,000 dong note. Um, so one's worth pence, one's worth about 15 pound. So you've got to really sort of keep keep your wits about it. But they are really helpful as well. Like so many times you go and try and pay for something and you might give them the wrong notes or colours and they would give it you back and they give you more and they would count it out and show you your mistake. They would no one there was there to rip you off or anything like that. But it's always good to, I've heard to, that. to keep to keep your uh, wits about you that you know that some of these notes look the same. So double check. I've heard a lot of places take US dollar there too. They do, but like anywhere, um, you will be stung on the exchange rate um, yeah. because you won't get anything like, uh, so I've been to several places in the world, the Caribbean for one, um, everywhere there takes the US dollar. But if you're on a certain island, like for instance, Barbados, they have the Bayesian dollar. Now you'll get a lot more for your money with a local currency. Obviously they want you to use the uh, US dollar because they make money out of you. Yeah, so the same so as what they do. They make a now. profit on the product they're selling, and then money off of the exchange rate. Yeah, so it's a double whammy. Yeah, because I mean, you'll be paying for something. And what? Okay, I'm talking when you look at the the large scale of thing. It's not much, but if you're going to be paying for something and it's going to be two dollars in Vietnamese dong, it's probably costing you a dollar. Mm. So, but all these things start to add up. So I always try to um, to use just a local currency. Um, and just get used to it because it was, you know, you're a millionaire overnight. That's the thing, and you have to uh, have to understand what you what you're doing with it all. But um, yeah, once I'd got over a bit of the culture shock, first of all, of hitting Hanoi, um, then you again, like we said in a previous podcast about just being able to sit there and enjoy what's happening around you and just absorb, absorb it. it. Yeah, and and yeah. embrace the chaos. I think is what you have to do. Um, yeah. And once you embrace it, it's it's so fun. It's so lively and vibrant. There's so much going on. It's there's things to see everywhere. Um, the nightlife, karaoke is absolutely everywhere. You've got Vietnamese people on the street just singing karaoke, and it's just <laughs> it's just insane. But um, honestly, I mean, there I was only actually in Hanoi. Both nights I was there was over a nighttime. I never actually had a daytime there. Um, so I didn't see some of the um, like the temples and things like that that I would have done otherwise, um, which I heard was great. There was also, people might have seen, there's the railway, the railway cafe, which is quite famous. You might see it on Instagram where um, a couple of times a day they have to move the tables off from away from the track because a train comes within like about 200 mil from where right. they're sitting. Yeah, 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 I've seen that, and yeah. And apparently though, um, from September last year, um, the government have stopped that um, and the, they are no longer open anymore because of the health and safety risks of it. So Again, I had some, the same thing. Yeah, so I was wanting to see that, but I didn't get to because I wasn't there at the time, but now it's it's gone. But I've seen the I've seen the photographs and stuff. It looks yeah. really cool. But um, so then, obviously, I was on a bit of a tighter schedule. I was on, I got 15 days to get from north to south. Um, I didn't really have any um, plans as such of what I was going to do. Um I had an idea of the places or people had, had said to me, this is a great place to go. This is a great place to go. So um, my next destination was Huey, which was the old imperial capital. Okay. Um, so I looked at how to get there. 
Um, and it's a 17 and a half hour train journey from Hanoi to Huai. Um, so on a 15 day trip, didn't really have the 17 and a half hours spare because that's the best part of the day. If it runs on time, which notoriously they're not uh, great at timekeeping. If anything happens on the track, you could be delayed five, six hours on top of that. So you, you, you're losing a day. Yeah. Um, Sleeper bus, the, maybe? Well, on the, at the time of me looking at it, um, the sleeper bus and the train was a similar time. The train was going to cost £38 to, uh, to take. And obviously, 17 and a half hours at least of your, of your life. Um, yes. And then I found a flight with Vietjet Air, um, which is a local um, domestic flights there. Yeah. Um, they, they do run all over Southeast Asia and they're pretty cheap. They're pretty much the Ryanair of. No of Vietnam. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, and I found a flight which took 50 minutes uh, and cost me £32. So it actually cost me £6 cheaper to fly than it did to take the train, which was pretty crazy, really. But I understand some people would love to take that journey of 17 hours, and I understand there's a, that... Um, the market for it. Yeah, there's, there's people would love to do it. But the time is money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I jumped on a plane for 50 minutes. Uh, I flew early morning again. So from the day that I got to uh, Bangkok to this day, the most I'd slept a night was two hours. Um, so I was absolutely exhausted. So I got to got to Huawei and said, look, I'm going to find, I found a guest house for, I think it cost me seven pounds for the night. So, you know, 10 US dollars. Um, this came. This was a room on my own with an ensuite bathroom with breakfast included, and the breakfast was huge. Um, really? It was omelets, toast, jams, um, fresh fruit, coffee, juice. It was just like whatever you want. Wow! And it's for seven pounds. It was incredible. Um, so when I first got there, I thought oh, I'll t- I'll take this day. I'm going to have a wander around. I'm going to look at the because the architecture and everything I've been told from the old imperial city wasn't damaged in the Vietnam War as further south was like Da Nang and places like that. Okay. Like Da Nang was completely um, flawed during the Vietnam War. And it's actually been rebuilt back up and it's really metropolitan and really westernized compared to the rest of um, uh, Vietnam of what I saw anyway. So it was, yeah. it was a big difference. So I was too, I'd literally, I was a hundred yards away from the guest house. I walked out and some guy pulled up next to me on this uh, like small motorbike and then um, he said, oh, how are you? Where are you from? Blah, blah, blah. And got talking to him. He was a local. And he asked me what I was doing. And I just said, I'm just out to have a look around Huawei. I'm here for a, uh, a night and a day. Just want to have a look around. And he said, look for a set price. Um, I'll show you around Huawei. I'll take you to these temples. I'll take you to here, here, and here. Um, and he then pulled out this little notebook of like a diary. And he was flicking through this notebook and the dates and the times and the places that people um, had come from, whether they were English, Swedish, um, French, American, Canadian. And they'd all wrote this stuff, uh, basically a review in this little book he had, which he carried with him. And so he convinced me at the end to jump on the back of his bike uh, with this total stranger and for him to take me around. Um, awesome. And some of the places we went you would never see um on a like where we went it took me to some bunkers in the middle of the woods which were had you know riddled with bullet holes um but they were overlooking uh, the river and all you could see was just greenery around you we went oh, to wow. um an old abandoned water park 
where all the, the figures and so there's a big massive um, dragon which is just one of the um, statues that's still there you can still climb up the stairs and go and see and look out of that i took some pictures on my instagram and put those on there so that was really cool to go and see then you go into the the main part of way where you've got all the actual imperial city where you've still got the monks around and um and just outside there there's you see this a lot in vietnam actually there the uh war machines planes um that kind of stuff which were left just abandoned by the americans and they're just on the side like obviously sectioned off you have to pay to go in to see but you can see through the gates and you see a lot of this in vietnam oh, so much so much of this um still lives on with them because when america pulled out they literally pulled out and left everything there um so Huawei was a really i mean it's really busy in the night times um there was it was real hustle bustle a lot more locals than than travelers i noticed um whereas hanoi was a mix of the two way seemed a little bit more um actual locals in the yeah. bars and restaurants you didn't see so many backpackers as such um so i actually came to an agreement with the guy um who had took me around way um to pick me up the next morning and he was going to then take me on the back of the motorbike down to my next destination which was um hoi an which most people have probably um heard of or seen pictures of and it's very it, well known yeah yeah it was voted last year by lonely planet as i think it was one of the it was in the top three destinations worldwide to visit because of just how beautiful it was and for yeah. Planet to say that it was quite an incredible feat, to be honest. Um, well, I mean, in so, comparison, in Norway, Geirangerfjord is um, is a UNESCO World Heritage Site just because it's beautiful. So, yeah. Yeah. so yeah, when when these when these things come out, they're always worth a visit. Yeah, so I mean, Hanoi is only uh, about two kilometres long. It's only a small place, really. Um, I was told that it's got fifteen hundred um, tailors within that two and a half kilometres or whatever. Uh, so if you want a tailor-made suit or anything, that's the place people go to go and get it done. Yeah. But in, but in the meantime, from way to, he said it was like a day's drive, basically. But we went down somewhere called the the Haivan Pass, which, mm -hmm. again, you can Gorgeous. take a train. Yeah, you can take a train or you can do, do it on a bike. I personally, having spoke to a friend who did the train and me having been on the back of a bike, the bike was just like nothing else. We actually stopped at a place called Elephant Falls, which is a waterfall in the, in the, just in the start of the rainforest. Um, I actually got people coming up to me, taking photographs of me with me because I was the only white male there. Oh, wow. It was all locals and stuff. So it was really like, uh, there's a couple of Danish girls and stuff who were there, but they obviously didn't see male, white males there. So it was quite, um, I don't know, a novelty for them, which is quite strange for me to be getting um, people asking for photographs with me and stuff like that. So it was quite, it's quite surreal. Really. That, yeah, that but, happens though, because my friend Georgie, she she is a five foot nine, uh, skinny blonde who gets confused for being Scandinavian all the time. Yeah. And she said that in certain parts of Vietnam where she was, where there weren't many tourists, she was having people take photos with her just because I, I, I know that there's weird reasons behind it. I think we kind of ignore them, just just accept that yeah, it's that an unusual sight for them. Yeah. And I say when this happened, it was quite quite strange. So I had it, you know, you have a swim in the, the little waterfalls and in the pools and stuff that are made there, and yeah. it's a place to buy a beer and stuff. And um, the sun was just coming out here as well. So bearing in mind, I've been in um, even in Hue, it was still quite hazy. It wasn't. I hadn't really seen any sunshine as such. 
So then we travelled down the High Band Pass, which is just absolutely incredible. The views are, it was just insane. Um, and it was an amazing place to go and see and spend the day just travelling. It was, and of course, on the back of a bike, you can stop and you can, um, you can get off where you want. And we actually stopped in Denang uh, to have lunch. Um, and of course, then seeing, he, there's a guy who was driving, he was obviously Vietnamese. He just took me to this place, ordered this food for me. Um, oh, nice. Um, it wasn't pho, but it's something very similar. It's like a fish soup type thing, but it was really, really nice. Yeah. We, um, yeah, so we did, we did that uh, and got to Hoi An. He took me to a place where I'd asked him, um, I've been looking to get a suit and some shirts done because it was just so cheap to, to get them done. There. Yeah. And he took me to a tailor that he recommended and whatnot. Um, and then Hoi An was just absolutely incredible like uh i got really sunburned on the back of this bike because i was just wearing like a tank top and um, <laughs> of course because i hadn't had the sun on me that much i hadn't burnt or anything um you hadn't really needed to cover up but on the back of this bike i felt the i felt the wrath of the sun because as i was getting further south it was getting hotter and hotter of course and yeah so and i mean hoi i only anticipated spending like two days one night there and I ended up checking into this hostel, which is a, a Vietnam backpackers hostel, the VBH. Um, it had a pool there. It had a bar. They did food. Um, it was but that pool was nice after that. Yeah, and the place was absolutely incredible. And the people who we all met, uh, everyone was traveling solo or with one or two of them. Um, everyone was only really stopping through Hoi An. They're going to have one night there, and that was sort of it. Um, ended up staying there for six nights. Um, nice. and, and every every morning that we'd wake up, you'd go downstairs after having too many beers with everybody in the hostel because it was just a complete... But then they'd take you to a club on the night time and um, they were, right, feeling a little bit rough today. Well, I thought you were going home today. Um, oh, no, we'll we'll have one more night. We'll have one more <laughs> night and we'll go. So this become a trend. So each group of people, bear in mind there was a group of about 15 of us in the end, um, and each person would come down and you go, are you checking out? No, I think we're going to have one more night. So, this, <laughs> so this, this theme of this one more night started happening. And every night they used to do different um, activities. So it was like a, a Mexican night or there'd be drinking games or there would be, they did a pub quiz. So a group of us obviously called ourselves one more night. And the next day, some of us were going to, uh, on this island trip to um, Cham Island which is a fascinating place because you can't live there unless you're born there or marry somebody who was born there. So it's oh. completely closed to any, any outsiders, basically. Um, so we were up for going. A few of the lads that we've met were like, oh, we're, no, we're going tomorrow. We've said, this, we've said one more night for each night. We said, well, look, if we win this pub quiz, everybody stays and we all take this trip. So... Okay, that's the deal. Didn't think we'd win this pub. This no. pub quiz. We did. We won this pub quiz. <laughs> so every one of us then went out celebrating. We won, uh, we won a load of cocktails and beer and stuff for free. So that was obviously a bonus. Um, so the next day we went to this Cham Island. It was up at nine o'clock to go on this trip. Everyone feeling a bit sore-headed. Um, the first couple of drinks when you were on this trip were included because you had to take uh, uh, ice box or an esky with you with, with all the drinks in. And they just, the first few were free. Um, we started, set up at nine o'clock and between, I think, 10 of us who were drinking on this trip, we drank them, <laughs> we drank them dry by three o'clock. 
we drank, um, it was two bottles of rum, three bottles of vodka, and 94 beers between the 10 of us. And that was, that was between nine and three o'clock. So we were pretty worse for wear. We went to this pool party afterwards, which was run by our hostel as well in another, um, it, was, it was on a, a beach bar, had its own pool and everything. So we went there, went back to our hostel, had a couple more drinks, and then we thought it'd be a really great idea um, for a few of us who were still left, because some were gone to get ready, to go and get a tattoo. So we um, found this, we spoke to the, uh, the, the staff and went, yeah, this place is incredibly clean. It's really good. It's got great reviews. So we all went there. Uh, the five of us, four, six of us went there, two pulled out last minute, but the four of us ended up getting one more night tattooed on our legs. Uh, <laughs> and we literally got back to the hostel and no one could believe what we'd done. Um, I put it on, obviously, with social media and stuff and everything else while I was doing it. The next morning, I woke up to this uh, text message to from my mom of all people saying, "I'm so disappointed in you." <laughs> <laughs> it was like, "Oh dear," he's waking up to that. Was like, oh, "Well, it's happened now." Um, it's not my first tattoo, so it wasn't a big thing for me to be honest. But um, it was the other three lads. It was their first tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> so, but um, we had such a great relationship. Everyone like uh, got together. We actually met up and went on a trip to Belgium for a long weekend. Yeah. Um, end of last year, we all met. Our viewers met back up. Um, so we had a great time. But yeah, the the place was incredible, and uh, Hoi An itself. Um, we did a, a Vietnamese cooking class, where you might have seen these. Um, they're, they're not boats. They're sort of bowls, if you like. Uh, you get into this big like wicker basket boat, which is a circle. Awesome. You've got you've got a Vietnamese. Uh, lady who's probably in her 60s or more who shouldn't really be um pushing us along on this boat we went crab fishing in the water uh, we went to this cooking class um and it was just a great experience there uh, the night time you might have seen the pictures of hoi an of the lanterns and everything along the waterfront and everything else um it's really really magical so it's, it's really easy to get stuck in hoi an but i don't regret one minute of it because it was such uh, considering it's such a small place, it almost had this sort of town mentality where you got to know people and um, yeah, like there was about fifteen of us, twenty of us, including the staff who were off in the in the hostel that day. They actually found like a, a great uh, Indian restaurant, and we literally booked the whole restaurant and just all went to dinner together at this place. Oh so, wow! So so it was so um, it was a really close knit family in the end. So it was really sad when we all had to to leave. Um, but from there, I flew because two of the two of the guys um, were flying down to Ho Chi Minh, um, yes. which is where I had to fly out of anyway. So I managed to find a flight this day. Just they went, well, we're going today. So I went, okay, I'll do the same. I found a flight, um, met them down there. Um, Ho Chi Minh again, a city which was a bit of a culture shock again compared to going to where I was, just where it was laid back. I've um, heard the same thing. It's completely different from the rest of the country. Yeah, I, trying to compare, I reckon probably the roads were were worse than Hanoi. Now imagine what I just told you, what Hanoi was like. <laughs> uh, Ho Chi Minh was just. But in Vietnam, one thing that you are told to do is there are crossings. They don't mean anything. You just like the zebra crossings, there are pedestrian crossings. The lights are go green for you to walk, but people go along there anyway. You have to literally walk across the road and don't look. You have to just walk. Don't change your pace. 
don't stop halfway because they said the Vietnamese drivers are used to it. If they're going to go around you, they'll go around you. But if you alter your pace or you stop, you're likely to get hit. So you're told to just walk out in front of traffic and keep going. So you have to get pretty confident, which luckily by the end of like the 17 days or so, I was starting to become pretty comfortable with doing. But it's such a culture shock, um, especially coming back home afterwards, because you do the same thing. You just start walking out in front of traffic and go, oops, I need to uh, watch what I'm doing here. I found I was being a bit, uh, a bit more ballsy with my driving after going to Italy. Yeah, I <laughs> and I was thinking, I've, I've got to stop. It's, a, it's very similar, and I said it, it, it's, um, it's such a, it's such a busy place. Um, it is literally insane. It's busier. It's bigger. It's absolutely huge, to be honest with you. Um, it's really, really big, um, and there's a lot to do. I can go. You can go down to the Mekong Delta from there. You can. Uh, we went to the Chu Chu tunnels to go and see about the Vietnamese war. There's a shooting range there, so we got to fire AK-47s and M16s and that type of thing, wow. which is pretty cool. Uh, you can go into the tunnels. Um, there's the history of the Vietnam War. Some of the traps that the guerrilla warfare uh, soldiers used to use are still there and things like that, so it was a real eye-opener. But um, yeah. yeah I've heard it, that it's, it's recommended to do it and get out of the way with and quickly try and mentally move on but go to the, the museum where they speak about the Vietnam War. Uh, yeah, I was about to say, we went to that as well. And it's about, it's about five, five floors. Then outside, you've got the tanks and planes that are left there, but you've also got, we got to like the third floor and we had to, we had to come out because we'd literally seen it off. Some of the devastating pictures and, and even you've got uh, the pictures of what the napalm was doing to people and what it did to offspring in the future and you had people being yeah. born with d disabilities and deformities and things like that there's even um in one of the cases um twins who have deformities they were obviously aborted but um they're in a con con they're, uh, in this conserved casing and gel so you can actually see what it done to these so it's really really in your face disgusting isn't it yeah and it's really it's really shocking to see and it's like uh, it, it, it brings a tear to your eye. It's really hard to see, um, but it's something you have to see. Um, yeah. It's like I, I went to Poland the other year and went to Auschwitz. It's not somewhere that anyone really wants to go and see, but you kind of it's have important to. to remember. Yeah, of course it is. So yeah, um, yeah. So exactly the same in Vietnam. It was. It's great to go and see. Uh, I mean, the country is beautiful. The people are fantastic. Um, it's cheap to eat, to drink, to um, for accommodation. Um, as long as you're savvy with your flights, like I said, yeah. you can find cheaper ways to get there than flying direct. Um, so obviously always have a look at, at that as well. But I say the country is just, uh, I mean, hopefully this year we're, we're, uh, I'm going to be heading back there uh, later yeah. on this year. So um, I'm really excited to go back there and, and, and you know, carry on from where I left off because it's, it, there's so many more things I wanted to do where I was there. Right yeah. up north, you've got the rice fields of Sapa. Um, but that's an eight-hour train journey from Hanoi. Yes. So going in the opposite direction to where I was going. So it I is. Didn't have, I didn't have time to do that. So there's loads. This, I mean, you literally scratch the service with... Hajang Loop as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that's a multi-day multi -day on the bike trek uh, yeah. ride. That takes you to the Chinese border as well, doesn't it, and back? Yeah, so you can actually technically coincide. In. Yeah, you you coincide with that with Sapper. So when you're up there, you can people are doing that and coming back round and then driving slowly back down to Hanoi and stopping at 
places and you've got Nimbin on the way past there and things yeah. like that so yeah this it's it's a country that's got so much to to offer and luckily and gladly they weren't that affected by uh, the covid outbreak um to this date now they haven't had a, a death uh, at the time of recording this they've opened back up domestically because they shut down pretty rapidly when they knew what was going to happen yeah so yeah it's, i think it's uh, the smartest thing to do but that's a different podcast yeah so <laughs> so so i think that they will be open up back soon and uh, if anyone's got any destinations they're desperate to go and see like vietnam is definitely top of the list because it's like nowhere you'll ever experience like for so many different reasons it's such a culture shock but such uh, a good in a good way it's really, um, yeah, it's eye-opening, but it's it's literally one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. So Perfect. definitely recommend it. Perfect. Well, uh, I mean, before we get to some wrap-up questions, is, is there anything else we need to know about Vietnam? I mean, you just summarised it quite quite wonderfully, naturally, just then. So. Um, yeah, I would just say um, try to keep yourself open and not to, I mean, internal flights to from one place to another uh, you won't be paying much more than 50 US dollars, so you know, 35 pounds, something like that. Um, but try and be flexible because you will meet people, you will see other things. If you're going to um, be too rigid, you're going to miss out on things. So I would say go there with uh, a penciled in itinerary, but don't be afraid to, to veer away from that because you won't regret it because there's so much to do and see there. And if you don't do it all, it's just an excuse to go back, isn't it? For sure. Yeah, for sure. Perfect. Well, I mean, I, I asked you these three questions last time. And I'm, I'm going to do them the same because I, I think, especially for someone who runs such a such a good blog uh, and, and a, uh, an online place to go to find information, I think they're quite good questions. You answer them really well. So the first one is, what was one thing that surprised you the most of Vietnam? Um, everything. If I'm totally honest, I, because I wanted to go there and I'd known how beautiful it was, again, like I said in the last podcast, I always go with, I don't want to expect too much of it. I want it just to... Excitement, but no expectations. Yeah, and this just blew all sort of... I could never have expected it to be like it was. Um, yeah. It is... I mean, what what could you recommend most about it? It was just fascinating. The people are so friendly. I mean, people say Thailand is the land of smiles. It's a nickname mm. they get there. But yeah. Vietnam, I've got to be up there with them because it is literally your. If you're ever struck, stuck, uh, struggling for anything, even if they can't speak much uh, English or whatever language that you're you're trying to get by in, they will always go, you know, out of their way to help you out. Um, so I was actually um, shocked by that. But the one the one thing about to pinpoint something was how good their internet is. Really. The Wi-Fi and the um, data that you can buy a SIM card. My, my, uh, I couldn't do it because my phone was locked, which I found out when I got there, unfortunately. But you could buy a um, SIM card for about $9 US dollars, which would last you for 30 days. And some people I knew were getting um, nine gigabytes every two days to use for $9 for 30, for 30 days. Jeez. It was incredible. And there was never anywhere generally which didn't have a Wi-Fi didn't have 4G. Um, the, the reception for mobiles or cell phones was incredible. Um, that was one thing that shocked me the most because I thought, you know, you think of a country in Southeast Asia, you don't think that they would be leading the world in 4G and Wi-Fi, but they're absolutely, it's so quick. Um, it was, that was one of the biggest shocks I had. I never, I expected to be using 
paper maps everywhere I went. And um, yeah, uh, it was a, a huge shock, which makes it easier as well because there's like, they don't have Uber in Vietnam. They do have something called Grab, which they do have in other areas of uh, Southeast Asia. But again, it's the same as, uh, as Uber. You put your car details in, uh, you jump on the back of a moped or a car that comes up and pulls up. It would cost you, you know, 20 pence, 50 cents sort of thing to go from one place to another. It was incredibly cheap. Um, and you can do that because you can get on Wi-Fi absolutely nowhere. Even like me, when you didn't have 4G, there was always open uh, Wi-Fi spots to be able to use. So, yeah, that was probably one of the things that surprised me the most. Perfect. And thinking back to those 15 days, you've already aced the flight in and saved a hell of a lot of money doing that. Yeah. But what's one thing that you would do differently about the trip? Um, if, I ha- if I had the balls to do it, maybe get on a moped and do some of it self-drive. Um, as the roads are absolutely insane, um, it's, it would take some guts to do it. But a lot of people I knew did it. And once they got on it, they, I was on the back of people's bikes all the time. Yeah. Um, but technically, you're not allowed to drive in Vietnam without a um, Vietnamese driving license. However, they reckon that um, at any one time, one million scooters that are out there are actually um, from foreigners being rented <laughs> out. So... <laughs> Yeah, and it, I, no one I knew had any issues with the police or anything like that. But yeah, I think I would like to maybe do a bit of the self-drive, maybe in some of the quieter parts like Sapper and uh, all that kind of place where it wouldn't be as hectic. But uh, yeah, that's probably one thing I would I would do next time. For sure. And I, I'm a bit of a, I've got a fond place in my heart for road trips. So uh, I'm ho- I've, I've got a, fingers crossed for an answer on this one. Uh, but what's one moment that you would relive on of Vietnam? The High Van Pass. Yes. If, you, if, there you, if, you, if, you go, if you're going on a road trip, I mean, people told me that um, it's, it was uh, yeah, past Ho Chi Minh, uh, Delat. Well, I'm looking at my map there. I can't remember the name. Um, <laughs> but apparently, if you drive from Delat up to like Natrang in that area from Ho Chi Minh, um, that's supposed to be beautiful as well. That's in through the mountains. It's slightly cooler um, in temperature. Uh, the climate's slightly different. It's a bit damper. It's more mountainous, which probably suit yeah. you uh, a little bit more as well. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, that I'd say. But road trip. If you could, anyone's going to do any road trip, I would say the High Van Pass is an absolute must because uh, you could you could spend all day just stopping every ten meters to take a photograph. It was wow. just incredible. So I can see why it's got the reputation that it has. To be honest. So no, it's uh, that's definitely. Get, get on a bike, whether you're driving or whether you're on the back of somebody else's on a tour. The tour is probably even better because you've got someone, like I said previously, uh, you're doing any form of tour, you're taking in the history and stuff that you wouldn't ever know, um, especially with so much history in the Vietnam War, um, going through the communism phase and everything else. It's, uh, mm. yeah, it's, it's, I'd definitely get a guided tour. Um, I'd definitely do that as a, as a road trip, which for sure. Though. Perfect. Well, um, listen, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been my pleasure and really great to talk all things Vietnam. And it's uh, nice to hear about a place that I'm hoping to go to sometime soon. So thank you very much. Uh, if we want to find out more information about this travel, uh, Budapest, which we talked about in the last podcast, or any other travels you've done, where can where can you send our listeners? Uh, well, the travel blog that I, that I run and uh, I am in charge of is travel with cookie so it's cookie with a c double o k y 
um, that's actually um, excuse the hair. That's um, the sign for it. Um, I do any sort of recommendation, whether it's how to get cheap flights like I've done in the past, places to go or not to go, um, even equipment or, or things that I would be using myself. Um, I try and post everything onto onto the, the website itself. Um, picture wise and stuff again through Instagram at cookie1989. Um, again, link with it. it's the same emblem and everything and. I also try to focus my Facebook page, which again is Travel to Cookie, um, and I try and update more so on travel news, um, any kind of uh, offers that are happening, um, yeah. stuff that people might be interested in, which they might not see, because obviously, like yourself, you'll be in a lot of travel forums and things that most people aren't involved in. So you've got a different eye into what's actually happening worldwide. Um, so I try to post uh, quite a bit on there, like every day, just to anything updated just to keep people in the loop and anything that I think is a bargain or um, is something that someone can really benefit from will be on uh, on the Facebook page as well. Perfect and actually something I quite like about the the blog is not not just your articles but like you were saying those money saving offers it's handy scrolling down and going oh money off Airbnb and <laughs> click yeah, exactly. into that I'll and people, um, people help me yeah people help me um, so I use that, that voucher for the people. They help me out. So just again, it's just anyone who's backpacking is always in the same boat. Yeah. Um, everyone's like a big community. So anything you could do to help anybody um, out in any way is uh, is exactly what I'm trying to do. To be honest. So yeah. So on the website, anything that I've got which can be of help to anybody, um, yeah, you'll find it on there. So. And the quizzes was the second thing I was going to say. At the time of recording, you've just done the first quiz, and I think you were saying you might do some more. So by the time this episode comes out, check out his website and call him out on it. If you don't find any more quizzes on the on the website, send yeah. him an email going, yeah. more quizzes, please. Yeah, there'll definitely be some. And see if anyone can crack Because nobody's cracked the first one yet anyway, so no one's got 100% yet. So uh, Well, you did, we'll... but you wrote it. So. Yeah, but that's really... <laughs> that was just a test that it worked, to be honest. But yeah. So, yeah, I, I'll try and keep us up to date because I've had quite a good response from that, to be honest. So, yeah, it's just a bit of fun. Perfect. Uh, Perfect. So, yeah, but yeah. Well, listen, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's, it's really been my pleasure. Thank you. No problem, Chris. Thanks for having me and hopefully I'll speak to you again. So I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. It's always great to hear about new places and Ryan just has so much good information and anecdotes. Uh, especially check out his blog. I'll put that in the show notes for you. But if you did enjoy the episode, then please do consider subscribing and following. If you want to share the podcast with a friend, then please do. That's how we'll spread the love and grow. But certainly, if you want to follow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, at BTM Travel Pod is where you'll find us. And if you want to come on the show or just want to email in, it's btmtravelpod at gmail.com. Hope you have a fantastic day, and I will see you in the next one.